The Ram Dhamma's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 16, All Together Now. The specter of violence pervaded every corner of the basin now. Everyone fearful of the developing situation as explosions became more frequent. And in Sector 25, weapons fire sounded constantly throughout the villages. Massive energy bubbles fired by the basin people had just ripped apart a factory near the oil fields. The attacks were moving ahead with no foreseeable means to stop them. Daka was with her friends working in the fields, but work with all the surrounding fighting was being brought to a halt. The zones seemed to be everywhere, brandishing disruptors and barking out orders. She looked across the fields and up to the village. Sharp barrages of blue light were being traded back and forth, followed by the delaying, whizzing sounds. She turned to her friends. Now it has begun. Insurgency started all this, Darka, said her friend Narta. It's the beginning of the end for us all. What other choices we have, said Darka. She turned down the valves to the water spigots. The only response is to fight back against the Zomes. How can you say that, Taka? asked another friend. That would be just fine if it wasn't for the insurgency. Everything would be fine. They have stirred up all this trouble. How can you say? She said it, Delphin, replied Narder, because of what the Zomes did to Shara and Greycore. Get to work, shouted a Zome from the end of the row. He fired his disruptor into the ground around them. I will not have any work stoppage in my area. How can we work with a battle raging in the village? Daka asked him. Any disturbances will be brought under control. They always have been. Now get back to work. He waved his disruptor at them. Do we have any choice in the matter? Mumbled Daka. They waited until the zone was gone before they started talking again. Daka, what will happen now? asked Narda. If the work stoppage really takes effect. Daka was about to answer when the insurgents on the hill fired an energy bubble toward the factory in the fields. They all dived on the ground. High and overhead, the wobbling green bubble moved on and off the course. It missed the factory target and impacted in the fields. Just a short distance away, tons of vegetables and dirt were thrown into the air. Everyone held their hands over their head as the debris showered down upon them. They were aiming at the factory, cried Doctor. I'm glad my brother isn't there, she said as she rolled over. No doubt they will try again, she added as she brushed off the dirt. But the dust still hung heavy in the afternoon light. This is awful, cried Delphin. You ask about work stoppages, Delphin? It will take place on its own. A battle is already taking place. The Zomes, with all their power and weapons, cannot stop us if we are together. Oh no, screamed Narda. Daka, look! At least 20 villagers, armed with high-powered disruptors, emerged from the hill positions and ran down into the fields. Zomes were easily picked off at first. But they too realized the attack was beginning and fired back. The villages, very much outnumbered, began to retreat back up the hill. As they moved back, another energy bubble was launched, followed quickly by a second bubble. Both bubbles lingered for a time and then rolled directly across for the factory. This time the coordinates were centered and the ensuing explosion was launched.
one right after another, blasting the gray stone walls to rubble. Daka blocked her ears again as small bits of stone rained over the fields. We have to get back to the neighborhood, she told them. They dove to the ground again. Other bombs and disruptor fire whizzed overhead as they crawled on their bellies through the crop rows. They were close to the outside rows when they got up and scrambled up the hill. When they were close to the outside roads, they stood and then scrambled up the hill. Everything was coming apart. Torrents of water covered the muddy road, gushing unabated from blasted pipes. The crossfire was intense. The snipers and zones traded volleys, mowing down whatever was in the way. They could see burning huts in the distance. People ran haphazardly through the streets with insurgency members attempting to distribute the weapons to them. And with more weapons, the villagers were making headway against the zone authority. What is happening to our neighborhood? asked Narder as they ran. As she spoke, however, a steady stream of zone dispenser fire smashed into her back, hurling her to the mud. Doctor and Deflin ran over to her, but they were too late. Narder! Narder! cried Deflin. Narder is dead! Come on! Come on! yelled Daka, taking her by the arm. But Narder! She's gone, cried Daka, her face covered with dusty sweat and her eyes moist. We can't do anything for the dead. Let's just get to a safe place. With Daka practically dragging her friend, they hurried through the smoke-laden back alleyways. The scene was one of gore and decimation. Explosions racked the area constantly, and the people, now armed with disruptors, were actively seeking out the zones as the revolt spread like an epidemic and the people, now armed with disruptors, were actively seeking out the zones as the revolt spread like an epidemic. These people, having built up hatred over the years, were ready for complete destruction. Closer to her parents' hut, the explosions were easing. The streets were calm. As they trudged over the hill, overlooking the huts, several red zones questioned two older people, friends of her deceased parents. When they raised their disruptors to the old man's head, darker cringed. The vivid memory of her parents sprawled on the rest area concrete flashed in front of her. Without thinking, she ran forward toward the zones. If there is any disruption from this crowd, we will kill you all. No, let them go, cried Daka as she approached. The zones and the people turned toward the hill. They have done nothing. They are insurgents. Stay back, stay back. They will be brought to the control sector for public execution. Unless you wish to join them, you will remain back. Stop, she cried. You can't take them. Take me. I am a member. Let them stay here. They have done nothing. Daka, what are you saying? Whispered the astounded Delphine. But Daka was not thinking rationally. She wanted to do anything to save their lives, somehow thinking... She was preventing the death of her own parents. Let them go. They stepped forward and grabbed Docker as the others watched. All right, insurgent. You want to trade, we will trade. Let the old people go. You will come with us. He laughed as the other zones moved in, taking her under the arms. You're all murderous, she cried as Delphine moved forward. Please don't take her. Please, you can't. Take this one too ordered the zone leader, wielding his power. 
Both Darker and Deflin kicked and screamed as the Zomes brought them up the other side of the hill. Azumar was waiting on the far side. The crowd stood by, helpless to do anything, as everyone disappeared over the roadway. Minutes later, they heard the oscillating sound of the Zoomer as it rose above them, loaded with prisoners destined for execution. Occasional fire from other parts of the village bounced off its hull, and then it hummed away toward the control sector in the execution yard. The Red Zone looked into his commander's eye receptors. Jarrow was not pleased with the latest developments. You say you told him about the food packets. You say he went into the tunnel. Then, why hasn't he emerged on the other side? In the XP building. Don't you realize the third predicator has insisted on this course of action? Why don't we just begin distribution of food packets? Perhaps you'd like to ask that question to the third predicator. I don't question his orders and neither should you. Find the general. I don't care if you have to lead him by the hand into that building. Just do it. He yelled as a light flashed on the transmission room console. He rushed inside and pushed the button. Yes, what is it? Another red zone came over the screen. He stood in an open doorway at the end of a long corridor. Commander Gerald, it's General Kellogg. He's... what about him? Have you found him? The Zome swung the camera around so it faced the inner part of the corridor. Kellogg was a short distance away, wearing green fatigues. Around his waist was a single silver cylinder strapped upward over his shoulder. He held his thumb near a large red button in a tiny box. He broke into the munitions area, Commander. He has a neutralizing cylinder strapped. I can see what he's done, you fool. Connect him to me, said Gerald as he sat down. General, can you hear me? I hear you very clearly, Gerald. As you can see, I have a neutralizing cylinder strapped to my body. Impossible. Do you wish to see how impossible it is? Perhaps if we just talked, General. Time for talking is ended, my friendly machine. I've already talked to your zones, and I know what's in that building ahead. The XB building. There's enough food nourishment to last some time. This is where all the food has been going. To form those ultra-dense food packets. Distribution will begin at once, Gerald. Have you got that? The third predicator. The hell with the third predicator. You listen to me, you mindless drone. This bomb can vaporize an area of ten square miles. If you value your control sector and your life, you will comply. What exactly do you want? I want it brought out to every sector, and I want you to begin negotiations right now. Let these people set up their own councils and rule themselves. I'm not sure I'm in position to grant the next- Then you better put yourself in the position. My life means very little now. Nothing would give me a greater satisfaction than taking you zones down with me. I can call the third predicator. No. Put me on all the locust screens. I will tell these people they are free, and they will have food. Very well. I would say I have no choice. He answered. We'll take a few minutes. I'll be waiting, but don't delay. Smiled Kellogg, wiggling his thumb over the button. When the Ram Damar came over the corridor screen, Kellogg threatened to push the button. This is the height of arrogance, said the Ram Damar. 
The basin screens are ready, third predicator. McGee and Aaron had been brought to the detention center, a series of iron-barred cells stretching for nearly 200 yards in the middle of the control sector. Through the window bars, they could see vaporizations in the courtyard below. Every 45 seconds, another burst of energy would eliminate a prisoner. And what worried them was the fact there was no sign of DACA anywhere in the center. In the corridor, between the cell rows, the monitor screens flashed with bold yellow letters. Important message for the Basin people. Important message for the Basin people. Important message for the Basin people. This is the third predicator. He said as his image filled the screen. McGee rushed over to the bars and clenched his fists. I have come to you in this time of great strife to put in motion the events that will bring all hostilities to a close. To implement my decisions, I have given power to a man experienced in such matters. A man who has the authority over the zones. General Kellogg. What? shouted McGee. Kellogg? Kellogg? Aaron exclaimed. You mentioned Kellogg, McGee. Yes, I mentioned Kellogg. He and Savard could not have made it back to the cliffs. This is impossible. Impossible or not, the fuzzy image of the general still in the tunnel came into view. Soon they adjusted the transmission, and everything, including the cylinder on his waist, became clear. Tension Basin people, my name is General Kellogg. My God, it's really him, said the astounded McGee. What the hell is he doing here? I am speaking to you from outside a building in the control sector. I congratulate you on all your efforts against the tyranny of the kingdom. Around my waist, I have a neutralizing cylinder. It is your insurance policy to get the food that has been withheld. The zones know that I will push this button, and the resulting explosion will vaporize the ten-mile area. He's forcing them to hand out food, said McGee, smiling for the first time in days. Aaron, the people will get food. Have an improved form of nourishment. A condensed package of food that can supply the nourishment needs of one man for months. I have already instructed the zone to begin distribution at once. And to further, what has already been accomplished in the Basin Council will be set up for representation of the Basin people. I never would have believed it. So I can assure you, you will have food for your families within hours. And you will have, for the first time in your lives, a chance for freedom. McGee looked incredulously at the fading image. Then he turned back to Aaron, momentarily forgetting all the executions. I don't understand how he got out of that tidal surge. That means maybe Savard is alive, too. Kellogg walked through the XB building doorway. There were at least 50 red zones lining the back wall of the complex. Unless... Unless this has all been somehow staged, said McGee as he thought. I still have my doubts about Kellogg. I trusted him too much on Earth. What bothers me, said Aaron, another person has just been executed on the monitor screen. No one has stopped the executions, and we haven't found DACA, replied McGee, gently hitting his fist against the bars. This is a large place. Finding her will be next to impossible. Kellogg walked through the XB building doorway. There were at least 50 red zones lining the back wall of the complex. He moved his thumb up and down several times as he passed, 
Then he looked to his left, past a clear glass retaining wall, and down across an enormous stretch of the plant. The room could have housed a short-range transport with all the space inside. Long vats of wavy blue water, hundreds of yards long, reached toward the light pink rear wall. The vats looked like canals and were bordered by the same pink material. Zones were spread all over the expanse, monitoring tank functions and adjusting the flows from overhead white tubing. It made no sense to the general. The hell's in those tanks? None of the red zones answered him. Answer me. Perhaps I can be of assistance, said the silver-skinned Jarrell as he entered the room. You are looking at the nutrient tank channel, the complex proteins and carbohydrates are brought down into these vats, mixed into a solution, and then brought by water. Never mind your explanations, Jarrell. I want to see that end product being brought into the basin seconds. Very well, General. I would urge you, however, to please put that cylinder... Shut up! Get me to the food! shouted Kellogg. This way. Motion the Silver Basin Commander as they walked along the line of red zones. He led the General over to a clear tube. This will bring us below. The door slid open and Gerald stepped ahead of the suspicious Kellogg. The clear floor moved along the pink material as they left the upper area. They were transported by the vats into the lower section. This section was much brighter. Kellogg shielded his eyes and then slowly let them adjust. This is the processing room. Gerald told him and he stopped the elevator. The vat tanks bulged from the ceilings. Clear funnel devices protruded downward along each tank with a dozen white lines connected to the funnel. As the blue liquid oozed down from the vats, its color was transformed within the funnels to a light yellow color. At the base of the funnel, a red coil glowed. The material emerging from the coil was much thicker as it dropped onto a moving conveyor belt. As the mixture hardened with another machine, a long silver roller flattened it to a sheet. This is the strangest thing I've ever seen, observed Kellogg. Gerald pushed the button and the door slid open. Kellogg walked ahead this time, moving by the funnels to the conveyors. The long food sheets were brought toward the star-shaped cutters. Yellow hammers stamped out the thick star-shaped nourishment blocks, and long hooks dropped them onto a smaller conveyor. Here they were moved to a machine that wrapped them in bright red packages. Then the zones loaded them into baskets. This place smells like honey. Sweet nectar, you might call it, said the general as he turned to Gerald. I don't understand why this wasn't taken into the basin at once. That was not my decision. The third predicate. The third predicate, of course, that son of a bitch, he said as he walked by the stamping hammers. I wanted to taste this stuff. It could be filled with poison for all I know. Feel free, General. I assure you the food is quite nutritious. As they headed toward the outside storage area, Kellogg could see thousands of pallets crammed with the red packages. Impulsively, he turned to the conveyor and pulled off one of the packets. He unwrapped it and sniffed. It does smell just like honey, he said as he bit into it. It had a very smooth consistency, much like caramel candy. This is good, very good, he said, nodding his head. Does the food meet your specifications? Asked Gerald. Sure, this stuff is great. Will you be able to produce enough of this food? 
I mean at a constant rate, so there'll be no more shortages. Yes, General. Unless the third predicator does something to disrupt it. Forget about him. The people will control this plant, and your zones will work for them. As much as you don't realize it, you machines are below us. Below us humans. The people of this basin are the last vestige of the human race. Life. Life not constructed with bionics. We deserve dignity, said the general as he looked outside. The first Zoomer moved out of its docking position. You understand dignity, Gerald? He asked, finishing the outer portion of the star. Dignity. The Ramdamar, observing again, watched the general eating the food. He followed Kellogg with a sly look in his deep eyes. Yes, General, you and your humanity will get the dignity you deserve. It's only a matter of time. The Nourishment of Life, Part 2. Waiting for death is the plight of every man, but for Aaron and McGee and the prisoners in the detention center, death beckoned them from the courtyard. Hour after hour, men and women and children were dragged out of their cells. Strangely, they had been conditioned to the cries and pleas for mercy. Like everyone else, both men had settled into the grim routine, lying against the walls of the bars, clamping their eyes shut, trying to forget the inhuman acts that were happening all around them. But conditioning could not immunize them to a familiar cry. Daka had been dragged out of a cell down the other end. She was not pleading for mercy as she cursed the zones. She had no idea McGee and Aaron had been captured. Daka! cried McGee, sticking his arms through the bars. McGee! She seemed stunned that they had taken McGee, and then she saw her brother run to the outside bars. Not only would she die in the vaporizing cylinder, but her two closest people in the basin would also vanish from reality. Can't take her down there. Take me! Take me! cried McGee. Please, just let her go. Her crystal blue eyes filled with tears as they brought her directly by the cell. You cowards! screamed Aaron. Unfeeling cowards! I beg you, don't let her die, said McGee as the zone reached out for Daka. More zones bashed at his hands and he fell to the bottom of the cell. He rolled over in pain, looking up at Daka one more time as she was led away. Outside, Daka had simmered down, resolved as she always was, to face her fate bravely. With dignity, her lips were silent as they led her across the stone slabs. The air seemed much colder outside. She looked to her right. Five people were waiting on the platform stairs. An older woman had just been put inside the cylinder. They had just led the struggling lady up the stairs. It took three zones to force her into the cylinder. Even inside, she was climbing the clear wall as the upper cylinder was lowered. In a brilliant burst of orange light, the woman was vaporized. The cylinder opened automatically and the wind blew her dust into the air. Docker closed her eyes momentarily as she stepped into line. She thought about Shara and Gregor. Just as they had been gunned down, she would also enter the unknown. There was no religion in the basin, but she still wondered what was beyond the bright cylinder light. It was just another phase of life, she thought. A certain point to be reached, like being born, reaching maturity, or joining in marriage. Those realities of life were certainties. Death, although certainly the end of the present reality, 
seemed invigorated. It was inevitable, said Aaron to McGee. McGee stood by the window, breathing rapidly as he looked across the courtyard. Cannot stop such things. Maybe we can't, said McGee, letting go of the bars. He ran in front of the cell. Zone! Zone! The zone guard came running over to the cell. Such behavior is out of order. Do you wish to be terminated right here and now? The general on the screen, Kellogg, I know him. I will not listen to such a ploy. Laughed the zone as the vaporization cylinder sounded again. I tell you, I know Kellogg, cried McGee. The cylinder noise was setting him off. If you knew him, then why are you here? Tell him, tell him McGee is in the cell. McGee, McGee, McGee. Silence. Tell him, McGee, he cried as the zone finally left down the corridor. McGee. McGee gripped the bars. Aaron arose and slowly pulled his friend away. He held his shoulders tightly. Why, Aaron? Why? Things happen. We can't control everything, McGee. Remember Daka as she was. The cylinder sounded again. McGee ran over to the window. There were just three people ahead of Daka now. I can't let this happen, he cried, pulling on the cold steel bars. Can't. He closed his eyes, baring his teeth in total despair. There was nothing more he could do. Daka stood alone at the top of the stone stairs. From this vantage point, she could see a digital clock atop the vaporizing gun, counting down the precious seconds of her life. Once again, they forced the next person, a young man, into the clear cylinder. He also was climbing the walls. It was only natural not to want to die. Everyone understood that feeling of survival. Daka knew it was just a matter of suppressing that impulse. Nevertheless, her heart pounded. She was next, next to be vaporized. She looked across the courtyard to the long stone detention center. Although she could not see McGee or Aaron, she was aware they were probably inside one of the tiny barred windows, experiencing the same helpless feeling. Slowly as the light dissipated from inside the cylinder, the dust swirled in the sunlight. The door opened and once again, dust poured into the crisp air. Perfunctorily, the zones moved over toward her, taking her under the arms. Daka was not going to struggle. She thought about McGee. When she had first seen him in the repair center, she had no idea of what would happen now. They lay her inside the cylinder. She saw the others waiting in line, their faces like all the faces that had suffered the brunt of the kingdom oppression. Neither McGee or Aaron could bear to watch any longer. McGee hung from the window bars. Tears oozed out the tightened corners of his eyes. It would only be a few seconds now, and then she would be gone. The cylinder doors closed. Daka looked upward toward the sun behind the stone building roof. She deep inside her. She wanted to do as the last man had done, use any means to escape the impending ray of death. She looked upward to the blue sky and the clock wasting away. Death, the final mockery of life, growled McGee as he hung from the bars. It's all so ludicrous. Just waiting for the end. Him. Ram Dama. Daka saw the clock pass 20 seconds. She forced a smile on her weary face and raised her arms upward as the seconds passed. 
A new force seemed to take over her body, a fearless sensitivity toward oblivion. With only seconds left to live, her mind stamped out the darkness and concentrated on everything living. But the time was passing, yet she felt nothing. Was the end so painless? She could still hear prisoners cheering. Still looking skyward, she opened her eyes. The clock had stopped at four seconds, and the cylinder doors swung open. Cold air refreshed her body as they cheered. At the top of the prison roof, someone with a neutralizing cylinder strapped to his waist spoke to them. I have ordered the end of all executions. You will all be returned to your sectors where food has already begun to be distributed. The oppression has ended. Daka closed her eyes as the cheering continued. She had come so close to the end, even adjusted to it. Her legs were weak as she staggered on the platform. Those waiting in line embraced her, celebrating her in their second chance with life. Open all the cells. The cell doors slid open. Aaron and McGee both rushed down the crowded corridor. McGee was on the stairs first, gazing across the yard. His eyes locked with Daka as he ran down the steps and she rushed over to him. They moved, they moved by the people, sidestepping like agile runners. Then they met, grasping each other. McGee lifted her into the air. Aaron hugged them both. All around, people cried, praising Kellogg for his bravery. And they were almost unable to believe they had been spared. McGee held his arm around Daka, and the three of them looked upward. Kellogg was still on the roof. Kellogg! 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 yelled McGee, cupping his hands. The general turned abruptly and disappeared across the roof. I don't know if that was wise, McGee, Aaron told him. This man has done all that you say he has. It was a gamble, replied McGee. He looked at Docker and hugged her again, still finding it hard to believe she was alive. Several minutes later, five zones appeared on the top of the courtyard steps. They moved through the crowd, spotted McGee, Aaron, and Docker. Incredibly, the strong machines physically lifted them from under the arms and dragged them up the stairs. McGee asked himself whether it had been a grave mistake to signal Kellogg through an empty cell area. The zones brought them through an empty cell area. They were placed in a small administrative room with chrome furniture. McGee, you said you were gambling. Aaron smiled nervously. You may have just sentenced us all to death. I don't know what Kellogg's doing here. I don't know how he got that bomb, but he is here, Aaron, or how he forced this food distribution, and he may be the key for my way out of here. McGee, you can't leave. You can't leave after, after I came so close. I don't want to leave you or Aaron back here. I just want answers. Can you both understand that? Yes, we understand, don't we, Aaron? I'll understand when I'm back in the sector setting up those councils they talk about. They had been in the room for quite some time when the doors slid open. Gee slowly stood and looked at the man who had framed him and killed everyone aboard the SRT. The two men kept their distance, and McGee could not understand how Kellogg had survived. The ocean, began McGee. It was rising. I had to do it, McGee. I thought I was on Earth, he said, moving his thumb away from the detonation button for the first time. I reasoned from a certain perspective. It was for the greater good of all mankind. Have no recriminations, General. It's past. We're in the present with present problems. You've saved all these basin people. You've provided them with food. 
We must talk about the past, but look to the future, said McGee as he slowly extended his hand. Kellogg grasped it tightly. Then the general sat down. McGee was amazed. The general told McGee what had happened. McGee was amazed by the dimensional portals and the strange complex Savad and Kellogg had found. They kept me unconscious. And you say the Ram Damat did not explain everything. Only what I have told you. He passed through time as we attacked Portero Grande. I tell you this, McGee, now that I have this damn bomb, I intend to find out just where the Ram Damar is. I agree. I want him dead, especially in light of what you have told me about Earth. The Basin people may be the last of, of the human race, Kellogg. That's unbelievable. And what about the Ram Damar? No man could survive this long or have power to travel through time. He can't be human. There's no way we could possibly know, General. You have to agree. He may be the way for us to get back to Earth. You're right. But we'll have to force him, and frankly, I don't like the odds. Neither do I, General. The odds do not favor us. Can you get us some of that new food we haven't eaten in some time? Right. Tried that stuff myself. It's very good. Tastes like honey. But I can't believe it's why the Ram Damar didn't bring that food into the basin. I saw the whole plant, the nutrient mix. The XB-234 should... The what? exclaimed Aaron as he sprang to his feet. XB-234, you sound like you're familiar with it. Familiar? We've had reports about the XB for months. It involves some new type of control. Control with food? Maybe there's something in the food, said McGee. Could be laced with virtually anything. McGee, thousands, I should say millions, are now being fed. You know everyone was starving. I couldn't stand by and let it continue. I understand that, General. I would have probably done the same thing. We have to look closer at these packets. Can you get us over to that plant? asked Aaron. I can get us anywhere, smiled the General as he pointed at the cylinder. Then let's go over there. Wouldn't you think I already would have been affected if there's anything wrong with the stuff? Reason Kellogg. Let's just hope, said McGee as the doors open. They don't cause you to push that button. Join us next week for another adventurous episode of the Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ram Damas Kingdom. Who is he who commands the masses? Produced by Fitton Theater of the Words.